So um, everybody just listening, we're just kind of getting used to this new setup. Uh, we set up a, a totally new room. With the, and we're kind of thrown off by our sultry voices in this, this new kind of era we got going on. Yeah, I'm listening to like all the the breathing. Like I can hear all the breathes and everything, mm. and all the like intricacies. I feel like I'm doing a semi ASMR video, and it makes me feel slightly weirded out, but also interested. <laughs> interested is always the best, my it's, friend. Truly, I don't know if I can keep this on the entire time. It's just no, no. Just, if it throws you off, you can totally take it off. I'm gonna be distracted. I'm not gonna be listening to what you say. I'm just gonna be like, it just right looking like, at your hearing your voice. Yeah, yeah I'm yeah. gonna be falling asleep. It's like <laughs> I feel like you should do. Uh, you know how like James Earl Jones just does a whole like fall asleep to James Earl Jones. The ASMR James Earl Jones style. Yes, fall asleep to Mark Laird. Just like listen to the sultry voice of Mark. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I wonder he must make so much money doing those ASMRs, man. Mm-hmm. Ridiculous amount it's of money. It's weird how you he think he was a lisper before everything. Yeah, 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 yeah. Mm-hmm. He uh but he has such a I don't know. If I was him, I would be making so much bank like he is on that Dude. thing. He's got the best voice ever for yeah. that stuff. It's so iconic, too. It's beautiful. I mean, like Darth Vader, of course, but he's done like um, a bunch of, he's been in a bunch of plays. Uh, he yeah. did the play that um, Denzel Washington turned into a movie, Fences. Yeah, Fences. Yeah. Exactly. He did that one. I saw, I didn't see the play. I never went to the play, but I saw a bit of clips of his performance in the play. Like, whoa. I did not know he was a stage actor beforehand. Like, oh, yeah, oh my man. gosh. He's he's phenomenal. Uh, like in that, I think I think I saw the same clip you were talking about on YouTube. They've got like a brief thing from when he's in. He performed, I think the. I, obviously, I didn't see the the play. It's on Broadway or whatever of him doing fences. But he, I think I saw a clip. Maybe he was at the Tonys or something like that. And they yeah. did like a, a like a highlight performance of like one sequence. Yeah, and he's. I thought he was better than Denzel. I'm going to say it right here. Really? Yeah. That. Denzel's ph- phenomenal, but I think James Earl Jones is that character is to me hits that character, you know? Really, okay. I really can respect well. that. It's hard for me to say, I hate, I don't I, No, I, I love Denzel. Don't yeah. get me wrong. I love Denzel. I do not hate him at all. I love his performance. <laughs> I was just saying that you hate a no, lot. Not I at hate all. Denzel. I just think that in that role, for some odd reason, James Earl Jones hit it, hit it for me a little bit out of the park. Granted, I only saw that one sequence, so it's not yeah. like the rest of the play could have been whatever. But no, I'm I I can't I can respect that. I mean, it's very it's based off a stage play. Yeah. So maybe I don't I wouldn't I've never seen Fences, so I don't know how much of that translates to it's like the movies. Sh- as, as far as from my memory, it was very little changed. I mean, it was the exact like mm-hmm. exact um, same script, everything like that, from the stage play to the film version. Yeah, how many stage, uh, how many movies based off stage plays are there, or how many can you think of? Because I can only think of like, I'm I'm sure there's plenty. I mean, we had talked about it a little bit before yeah, the podcast. Re- there was a, I feel like recently there has been a couple movies um, that came out that were plays to begin with. They translate. Oh, uh, the whale, right there. Oh yeah, you're right. Yeah, yeah. the whale just Brendan came out. Freaking Fraser. Yeah, did you see that by the way? Nope, didn't see it. Oh, you haven't seen it yet. Honestly, man, don't get me wrong. I think it's I think it's great, but okay. there's a thing that happens. Maybe you feel the same way. Mm-hmm. If something is talked about a bunch, it gets overhyped. Yeah, and I'm not saying that this was. Well, I guess I am saying uh, for me, getting into it, it's a little bit overhyped. It was it was fantastic. Don't get me mm-hmm. wrong. His performance is great. All the other ensemble performances, everyone killed it. I think they did such a good job at their their specific roles, and. 
but it does, it's hard for, I have never done it and I'm an amateur audience member critiquing something that I've never done. So, you know, hell with what I'm saying right now, but I always, I feel like as a viewer, it's easy for you to see what's been adapted to a film version from a stage version. Yeah. Cause it's really hard to do and do it well you, mm -hmm. in the back of my head the hard thing is not to be like, Oh, that was, that looks like it's from a, a play or that's unmotivated. Like that's a weird thing that's yeah. happening. Do, do you understand what I'm saying? No, I feel like the cinematics would be the hardest part of that. Yeah, because exactly. Plays are, I don't know all the intricacies of plays, but plays are there for the actors plays. The actors bring that to life. Mm. Um, not necessarily the cinematics of everything, like the camera angles, all of that stuff is not necessarily thought of in a play and you have to bring that to life and make it look cinematic for a feature film. Yeah. And so that, that stuff might be difficult. And right. that's what I was thinking of fences. Like it looks like a good production. It looks like a good movie for the yeah. actors, but how is that going to translate to the movie to the movies? And, uh, I haven't seen the whale, so I can't. And I haven't seen fences, so maybe I'm not the right person to talk yeah, about yeah, this. Yeah. But that's my, that's what I mainly what I think of. And I think one person that does it correct is Quentin Tarantino, because even him himself, he wanted to, he wanted to do plays for the longest time. He wanted to yeah. be a stage. Uh, Dude, I had no idea. Do you really? Yeah. Or he, he wanted to be a stage director. He wanted to be. I don't want to get the facts wrong. He wanted to be. He definitely wanted to be an author. Okay. And he, I, we talked about this before the podcast. He did a stage recording or a stage read yeah. of The Hateful Eight. And a lot of that movie actually kind of does feel like a play or could be a play. That The fact that some of that stuff happens at the end of the movie, I would love to see like an actual. Yeah, I would love to see the play version of that. That's mm -hmm. pretty crazy. I mean, I guess it makes sense because it's all self contained. I think yeah. Quentin Tarantino is really famous. I think like Reservoir Dogs, although. That being said, I've only seen clips of Reservoir Dogs. Can you believe that? You've never seen Reservoir never Dogs. Never seen the full. I guess I can't really get. I, I can't get too mad. Yeah, I've never seen The Godfather, but yeah, I can't. I can't get too mad. Touche. Fair. <laughs> but Fair no, I, I, it's. Yeah, I, I can't spoil anything about Reservoir Dogs for you. It's a good. It's a good movie. It's not as best. It's a good movie, and it's definitely. Well, it's like his first like debut big thing, right? Yeah, yeah. But it's shockingly good for how good of a, for a first movie. It's yeah. He uses location to a T. He uses actors to a T. Every uh, expense workaround, which uh, you can definitely tell, like there are there are areas in the movie where they kind of jumped around, like the expensive scenes. Yeah, it all makes sense within the film, and it's all very uh, logical and character driven. And so even with the indie setting of like, maybe they might be trying to avoid like some of the expensive shoots. Like it's still, it's still witty and fun throughout the entire time. It's, it's a good movie. That's I, my, that's my review of Reservoir Dogs. Uh, <laughs> back, I, back to you in the studio. Right. I I, I got to check it out, man. Um, but dude, as I see you sipping this and I've already taken a couple sips, dude, Jacob, thank you again. <laughs> For thank this amazing you. rum, man. Thank you. Thank you, Jerry. Um, the one who actually recommended this stuff to me. Shout uh, out to Jerry, by yeah. the way, guys. Shout out to Jerry. Shout out to Jerry. Thanks, Honestly, Jerry. I don't know how you pronounce it, but we're going to go with Kiamiche. It's uh, Kaniche. Uh, if you can read this, Kaniche. Kaniche rum. Thank you, yes. Jerry, for this. If I'm not pronouncing that correctly, I'm very sorry. But yeah, this, this, uh, this podcast is not sponsored by that. No, but it is great tasting, by the way. We have no uh, money invested in this at all, but it is <laughs> it's really very good. good. First time I've ever had it. It's fantastic. Um, but yeah, so we talked about the dogs. The one thing we were talking about before this that I really wanted to get in with you, yeah. and this is going to be a way left field segue, but 
it is nuts right now what is going on culturally and just technologically with AI. Like, how do you... Okay, so first of all, I don't know if I've had a lengthy conversation with you about, like, chat, GBT, or have you ever played around with that at all? I... Not really, to be honest with you, but we did do a podcast... I'm going to do a self-promotion, by the way. We had uh, our first episode <laughs> on the Couch Gaming Podcast, which yeah. is a podcast that you can go subscribe to if you want to do that. Anyway, our first episode was on AI. Now, I don't know too much about this, but my friends who I talked to, uh, Michael mm. and Charles, they were very familiar with chat GBT and the innovations of that. Yeah. And... Uh, you know, some of the stuff is it's it's still it's like it's like a work in progress. Of course, but the way that I get scared is this: the fact that we are where we are technologically right now. Mm-hmm. If you told people like maybe 20, 30 years ago that we would be here, it would be such a huge spike because there's been such a huge innovation of technology in the past like twenty years uh, with everything that we've had i mean i grew up in the age of v- i still grew up in the age of vhs i'm not that old i'm 25 years old and now we have all of this stuff right. so technology has had a huge bump in advancements and now you have ai a lot of this stuff is still new but it's gonna get better people are gonna innovate the crap out of this and something we also talked about on the podcast the my favorite thing to come out of that is mm. the voice uh the voices you can uh change the voices the AI can recognize those voices and change it into that and what people have done with that if they they've made the presidents uh they oh, made yeah. donald trump uh, joe biden and obama and there's so many like channels i like, call presidents play and a bunch of other channels like that right. that have changed these voices and made them where they're like playing wii sports or minecraft and it's just these two it's so funny and like it's funny but it's also kind of freaky what do you right. think it's like ai dubbing right so they're they're yeah. taking like a, a video or maybe even an audio file and they're having like a fake conversation between two people or are you talking about like there's a video where they have like joe biden speaking as like someone playing fifa or something like that no it's literally that. like what? joe biden is playing uh call of duty and they're acting like they're care like joe biden right. is like in the corner and is like joe <laughs> trump is in the side like sleepy joe get up like we get gas your gun yeah, yeah, yeah. and they're pretending like they're friends like obama and trevor like they're like, they're like bros like thanks bro and they're like yeah it's so funny and then they're like sleepy joe get the gun we need you to cover b and it's like i'm covering b i forgot my medication <laughs> like, yeah. over here it's so funny and like a lot of that stuff like people have said like that stuff is like the political divide has been healed we've been united by <laughs> the ai presidents. comedy comedy people beautiful yeah but yeah it's but yeah what do you think uh, about all that well i mean like i think it's uh you know kind of like you i don't know a lot about it but as a periphery and just my own like exploration of like the subject i think is exhilarating and ter- terrifying and I know recently, you know, people much smarter than I am, like Elon Musk and a bunch of other people that actually are on the forefront of this tech, mm-hmm. wanted to put a pause on it for, I think, a six-month period just so that we, society, could catch up to the innovation. Because yeah. there is a fear, from what I understand, of, and I'm going to totally fuck this up, but there is a fear that there's something that's going to happen called the drift, where technology advances exponentially right and Mm -hmm. with ai it's almost like a rocket ship of 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 an exhilarating exponential growth and so when that happens there's a fear that already it's outstripping um society's innovation but because of that rocket ship Mm -hmm. it's going to outstrip it so much more so that we're not able to keep up to the point where it really has a negative effect on a lot of society that we can't just keep up with so skynet we're gonna die 
(laughs) (laughs) But I mean, there is a fear, you know, I don't know how much into the sci-fi like freakish tinfoil hat realm you want to go to, but there is a genuine fear. I know everybody and their mother is talking about AI right now. It's such a hot topic, Mm -hmm. but there is a fear that, you know, runaway AI where, you know, that becomes sentient and starts to think for itself. And, um, the possibility maybe that it already is now sentient and thinking for itself. You know, I'm not smart enough to really calibrate or understand that, but once it gets there and there's no need for us, and even worse, if someone tells it to do something and humanity or civilization is yeah. in the way, that it is at such a level because at that point it will be learning from itself, able to create other copies of itself that can do other things that also can learn from itself. And so there just won't be any need for us and also will be a detriment to the task that it is trying to do. Yeah. And so that is, I think, the biggest fear. And of course, we as humans were like, oh, well, we're, we can program it to have fail safes. But I mean, like, what if there's already workaways, workarounds with ChatGPT where people literally are finding ways to tell it mm-hmm. to do things outside of the already controls put on it? Yeah. And so that is kind of the scary thing. However, I also know that it will be impossible to curb or slow down because it gets into like a military defensive thing. So it's whoever, whatever, whatever country gets the technology first is probably the safest from being attacked by another country. And it's Mm -hmm. in it. um, There is a motivation for military defense to be the first one to have this technology. And so if anything, every single other country since Pandora's box been open with AI is stepping on the gas to try to get to that almost that sentience or that that ai yeah. that can do all it's this like they've stuff. uncovered a treasure and we need to like okay everybody calm down we need to figure out how all we need how to figure out how to distribute this and yes. figure out how this works before it gets too out of hand because that's the that's the issue with the free market i love like i'm an american fan i love uh individual freedoms and stuff like that but it, with the free market you give uh, you kind of roll the dice when it comes to that you release ai into the public you get fun videos like the president's playing minecraft that's mm-hmm. awesome but you also run into dangers and yeah. there could be very severe consequences to that exactly i mean when you give everybody essentially you're giving everybody the tool to do whatever they want i mean mm-hmm. truly a limitless possibility because this thing will act as you know whatever it is assuming a, a whatever desire that or task it is yeah. given and so you get the freak thing is like, yeah, we can cure cancer with this. And it can, from what I understand, it's already leaps and bounds aiding in curing a bunch of diseases on the forefront yeah, of medical stuff. Yeah, wasn't there an article out as a recent one, like AI cures cancers in like a few minutes or like 10 minutes or something like, yeah. I'm sorry, what? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I didn't read much past that headline and I took it as just a headline because, you know, I feel like that would be a huge bigger news than that. But yeah, I mean, on a complete side note, like you read so many headlines, so many yeah. things it's like, you don't know what's real anymore. Like you go online and just read a random article it is like this person kills this person or like there's a nuke over here is like i don't even know what's real anymore because there's so much crap out there like so yeah on that end is like do we even know if that's even a real thing if the ai actually did cure cancer, cure cancer. we don't know so right it, exactly but um you know it, it, on that front it could do all those positive things that did maybe, that for yeah. sure and i think that once it gets that that level it'll be able to solve all these things you know, maybe we'll be able to find out how we can, you know, leave our solar system, do whatever. I mean, you can go crazy with that stuff. But like you're saying, and like we're getting at, is there's a fear that if you are given every, if everybody has access to this lim- limitless tool, what happens with someone that maybe isn't, you know, is suffering maybe mentally and wants to create a bomb? 
you know what I mean? Or have yeah. the plans to create a nuclear reactor or something like that. That really could be a detrimental thing to all of humanity. What happens when, you know, you tell it to hack into a certain government or you tell it to, um, you know, make, tell me how to make a home, homemade EMP to knock out power mm -hmm. somewhere. Something like that where it is, it totally could be a recipe for disaster. It's really putting a lot of faith in people. Now, the only thing that, the only adjacent thing to this that I can think of off the top of my head right now is, you know, right now with the availability of uh, nuclear weapons, we already have certain individuals that have access to such as to a tool that is that has the capability to be so super detrimental. And yeah. thus far, since the 70 year, 80 years since they've been created, there has been good faith and, you know, exhibited that that has not happened. There hasn't been some random nuclear occurrence. And given mm -hmm. the fact that we're humans and fallible and that, that there are so many nuclear warheads, it's yeah. truly amazing that that has not happened yet, man. Oh, my it gosh. utterly insane Dude, to me. And the fact that people get depressed, people get sad, people get frustrated, and yeah. the human fallibility, the original sin aspect of all of that, could just, like, press the button one day. Like, I don't care anymore. Mm -hmm. It doesn't. It's not thinking about the millions of people that are present, alive, living their lives. It's just like I'm angry. I, it's amazing we haven't gone to nuclear war already. It's right. amazing the Cold War didn't. The Cold War didn't uh, immediately uh, kill all of us. It's amazing all of this hasn't happened already. I mean, I don't know how stable our current, the current leader of Russia is. I don't know. Like, yeah. And there's so been, yeah. It's that whole situation is freaky. Like yeah. remember like originally where they were threatening nuclear war. I mean, the current, the war is still currently going on. I don't know. I haven't even been a hundred percent updated on that, but there's been several talks of like nuclear war, nuclear war in Ukraine, nuclear war in Russia. And like all of that's sort of like, ugh, that's all that's freaky. It's yeah. always freaky. It is. And I don't know how far you've looked into that. I think that's just a great thing to get in, get into that as well. Um, like, so I guess in yeah. essence right now, I wouldn't even say we're in a cold war. We're kind of in a proxy war. Yeah. That's, you know, cause we're funding this mediary, you know, mm -hmm. the, being the Ukraine in this scenario, but we're funding them as a, as a, that is, you know, contributing to the proxy war with us between us and Russia. We're not necessarily at like a full on war, but it's, it's kind of like a proxy war we're, yeah. we're entertaining right now. And it's terrifying. I don't know what the end result would be. Obviously, I think that eventually the sad thing is I, I don't see any side Just coming out. Mike a little bit towards you. Oh, yeah. More. yeah I don't see any side um, really coming out, you know, uh, head taller or, or overwhelmingly the victor without a compromise. Uh, yeah. I, like, I think that even though from what we understand, from what, you know, our sources and media sources are telling us is that the bulk of Russians are not for this war, which I, I tend to believe. Um, I mean, that, there was a protest originally, yeah, and then it was, the protest didn't happen the next day because they were gone. Right. And it's, yeah. it, you know, it's authoritarian government. It's mm -hmm. the, it's not, you know, it's not the USA. Right. I mean, people take their right to protest for, I mean, we, we take all, we take all this stuff for granted. And you take just the right to, to protest. You know what I mean? Yeah. Just to vote. Like all of this stuff we take for granted. And you, you a lot of people say like, like we're oppressed in America. Well, you can at least say that right right. In, in here. And in Russia, you can't do that because you'll get taken away the next day. A thousand percent. It, it's, it's terrifying. You have to factor in that, um, I don't know how I feel like I am. There's obviously, I think it is childish to believe that the people in power 
know just as much as we do in the sense that I think they know a lot more that I think it is to the safety of the end, not the safety, but I just think that if every person knew really what was going on behind the scenes, geopolitically and politically, mm-hmm. um, number one, I think there would be rations taken and we, there would probably be a lot of, you know, um, terrible actions done because yeah. out of hysteria and, and, and freak out for sure. Um, so I, on, on that, since I, maybe it's not a good thing that we, we don't know. And it's, it's nice that, you know, things are kept at bay from the vast majority of public. Cause you've got to know that, you know, no matter who becomes president, first of all, <laughs> this is a side note and I know I'm ranting, but my rant is going to consist of this. <laughs> if you're, wanting to be political and get into power nine out of 10, you have to be, and granted everyone has a, you know, is, is fallible or guilty of pride, but you have to be very egotistical and narcissistic to really pursue, I think, um, high level politics, because at the end of the day, I, I think it is lost and it gets overwhelming. And that's why I think people, um, shut out from politics. Mm-hmm. I know I do from time to time because it does get overwhelming and, the more you uncover, the more complex and also corrupt it can seemingly get. Yep. Um, and I think that becomes overwhelming and people people definitely check out. I don't yeah. blame them. I do as well. Um, but I think you have to be kind of egotistical and narcissistic to want those roles, which is the exact opposite of what you want in a leader that is pursuing those roles. You want mm. someone that is like, I... I am doing this because I want, I, it is not out of selfish gains that I am trying to do this, but for the betterment of the general public. Yeah. And that's always the notion that they tell you, but regardless, it seems to be nine out of 10. It's not that notion. And at the end of the day, even when you go into it, I think with that, that notion of trying to be selfless and altruistic, um, you eventually get corrupted by the the Leviathan that is lobbying and money in politics, as well as understanding that because we have these two, I'm talking specifically about the USA, we have these two political parties that dominate um, and control basically our government and Mm -hmm. therefore our laws and taxes and everything like that. To get anything done, you have to appease one group of individuals and another group of, and or the other group of individuals. And a lot of those individuals anyway are bought and paid for by the lobbyists. And mm-hmm. so, you know, there's a reason why on a salary of maybe like a hundred thousand dollars, people in, in politics are becoming multi, multi millionaires, yeah. the vast majority of them. There's a reason why, you know, and also the corruption that is so just blatantly obvious of insider trading that has been publicized finally by our access oh. to the internet. Our po- re- yeah. Remind me or not. Our Thank you for interrupting this not- rant. I needed to stop talking. Yeah, yeah, no, 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 yeah. no you're good. I, I will say on top, because again, I'm, I mean, I know I, I'm, like, I'm kind of stupid, but I don't know all the specifics. We're all stupid. Yeah. yeah 100%. <laughs> um, in, our, in our own individual way. I don't think people are meant to have that kind of power. I don't think mm. that people were meant. I mean, it's the same reason um, you look at Hollywood celebrities mm. and you look how successful, how powerful, and how rich they are. And you think that that's the thing to, to subscribe to. But and then you see people like and again I know that he's they're been in the news as of recent but like uh, Jada and uh, Will it, Smith like I th- I'm trying to follow you think about how uh, rich and powerful and that's the thing to subscribe to what do you mean by that uh, 
like Rich and Bill, like uh, we see those powerful people, yeah. or like those uh, people in Hollywood who are so rich and so glamorous. We see on TV, we see on movies, and like I want to, I want to be like that. I want to be. Oh like yeah, that. we idolize them. Yeah, yeah, yeah we yeah, idolize yeah. that. And then you get you get a regular person that's like you and me in that situation. Yeah, and. Uh, I don't think that we're really meant to have that kind of idolization or power. You have so many people like, idolizing you, saying you're great, saying you're fantastic, and that it has to get to you to certain to a certain degree. That has to mess with your mind a little bit. Maybe you actually think you are that amazing. Maybe you think you can't mess up, and you see those individual people and you idolize them, or other people idolize them, and they're just as flawed as us. They're just flawed human beings. Like, oh, like again. Uh, back to then, uh, uh, Will Smith and Jada Smith—they're a very flawed couple. You see people in Hollywood getting divorced all the time. Right. Like the, I feel like the uh, the current uh, runtime for people getting married in Hollywood is like a year. There's been people who've like, been married for like a few weeks. Man, it's ridiculous. Like, what are you doing? So, and like, yeah. it, it maybe the, the same thing goes for people in uh, power in the United States. Um, and the fact yeah. that you are on camera the entire time, the fact that you have so many people idolizing you, the same, and it goes for both sides, Donald Trump, Joe Biden, you have so many people idolizing you, that's yeah. going to get to you. That's going to get uh, the fame, That all of that's going to get to you. So, yeah, I mean, like, basically all that attention corrupts you, and then eventually you start to be, uh, the ego gets in the way, right? So then I, I feel like we're all, yeah, there's no way. Dude, just think about this. You're a child star. Okay, whether you're a singer, actor, whatever. Woo. And all of a sudden you're given all this attention. Yeah. You're giving all this money. You're getting all these adults around you not saying no. This is the adult store, right? Everybody's probably familiar with this. But it 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 helps to reiterate how the all of that power and attention, of course you're gonna get corrupted by it. It's not mm -hmm. necessarily you don't have a you know, a mentor with you that is usually relating to you or explaining to you how to act in that certain way because yeah. there's just such a small percentage of people that have ever had that same experience. And even them, everybody's individual experience is different. So it's, it's super yeah. difficult. It's like a king back then when... All that you had was like the family line. Right, but at and least you had your parents still that were above, yeah. you, if it was, you know, uh, hereditary or whatever. Family. But yeah. like even then, like the next in line is your son. Yeah. And as your son, when you die as king, your son is going to be king or your daughter is going to be queen, yada, yeah. yada, yada. And maybe if you raise them well, they'll work out. But at the same time, that son or daughter is going to grow up in a monumentally different way than everybody else they're going to grow up with the pot with authority and this is all mine and if you don't raise your child well they're going to become turds absolutely dude yeah and same thing for hollywood yeah exactly well i mean for lack of a resource or a, or a mentor or a mentee for sure you're going to be you know it's just a recipe for disaster mm -hmm. you're not set up to succeed in that in that essence so that that happens and then when you get Go, circling back to the, the politics thing, I mean, when you get these people in power that, you know, they go in with the right intentions, usually I, you would hope that these people that are running, and at the end of the day, it is utterly insane to me that if you think about it, and I don't know what a better way to do it, I'm for the democracy, don't get me wrong, but, yeah. you know, we freely as a society, based on a popularity contest, <laughs> give someone... Come so much power mm -hmm. over the individual lives, and it's uh, and 
the we're basically we sit back there on our couch with our popcorn, maybe a drink, our pizza or whatever. We're yeah. watching, and we're basically like entertain us and make us choose you. And of course, these people are <laughs> going to lie, and of course, these people are going to get up there and tell you exactly what you want to hear. Yeah, I'm gonna make this happen. And while yeah. they're office, like four years go by, where was that thing that you promised? Yeah, right, exactly. And that's, I mean, I think everybody is aware of right now. I mean, you, you're being you're on the political. Uh, the, the candidacy road when there are in the primaries and the, you're listening to all these speeches and stuff like that, you know, the vast majority of them are promising things. They know they might even actually, I take that back. They might have the intention of doing these things, but the mm-hmm. vast majority of stuff, maybe they know um, they're not going to execute on. Yeah. Um, also you run into the factor of, okay, we kind of alluded to this earlier in the conversation, but once they get into power, they're let known all the stuff that, the public isn't made aware of, of really what happens behind the scenes. Yeah. And that probably impedes a lot of their, or at least I like to think that that's the reason why some of their stuff isn't, isn't done mm-hmm. probably against my better judgment. It's probably because they just promise things, whatever to get them elected. Yeah. Because I mean, of, you look at Obama when he was in office, like yeah. eight years of that. And he was like, at the end of his office, he like great hair, oh, horribly yeah. worn. Trump Dude. looked the same. And Biden, I feel like we'll be, I don't know, in a casket by the Dude. end. Cause he's like going, <laughs> How nuts is it that Trump looked the exact same? You would think about any normal person, the amount of stress and and just absolute terror that you would go into. I mean, as an empathetic individual, when yeah. you're, every single decision decides, if not a thousand lives, a hundred lives mm-hmm. or, you know, tens of hundreds of lives. I mean, you know, anything. And... The fact that you're you're not uh, that's why everybody goes gray. I mean, the amount of s- stress you get. Not to mention, you know, I think about it almost like a, maybe this is more conspiratorial, but I I go deep in the sense of like forty chessing it in the sense of right. <laughs> but I go deep in the sense of like it would not be advantageous for a country to have their leader appear weak in any way. That means no. even sick. Yeah. So like they're probably pumped with so many drugs and steroids to keep them from catching illness mm-hmm. um, constantly, which that can't help the human body at all. No. Um, there are so many factors that happen. Yeah, you have to keep this guy like awake because he is the essentially the leader of a country. And like, I know there's like um, separation of powers president doesn't have all the power in the world. He still has to contend with everybody else. But at the same time, like people are looking to that guy. That's still like the figurehead of the country. Yeah. Um, it, it is hilarious that Donald Trump uh, looked the same, but yeah. I feel like he's used to that. I feel like he runs like 16 businesses at you the know, same that being t- said. Yeah, yeah, time yeah. because he's like, he's already used to that. Like also I feel like part of his ego just like keeps him alive. It's like, does he like wake up in the morning? And is like, well, I'm the best. Let's continue to do the best. I don't I think, think he wakes up thinking well, like I probably messed up. Like I don't think he thinks that. <laughs> there's, I mean, I think he. There is definitely an exuding arrogance that he has, but it, and it comes from being at least the appearance of being successful for so many years, for yeah. decades, right? He's been had this billionaire status, and basically, in the eyes of up until he ran for political office, I think that he was he was you know the apprentice guy. He was like worshipped for not only his in the business circles of, you know, his appearance of being very good at business. And yeah. then on the apprentice side, his, his appearance of being really good at entertainment. And, mm-hmm. you know, he was always kind of fawned over and, you know, had best selling books yeah, for his, what everyone he did. Everyone loved him. He was on talk shows up until right. he became president. And then he wasn't on any talk shows. Right. And, but what I'm saying is he's just had this, you know, his ego has been fed for so long that of mm-hmm. course, when he wakes up, you know, he's probably thinking, yeah, yeah. 
I How can this. you wake up with that type of hair and say, like, I'm the best? Dude, Have you the looked hair. in the, What is that? It's not even hair. It's, it's a, a little wig. animal. It's, it's an animal that lives up there, dude. <laughs> <laughs> it's a little it's animal like if you, like, there. rough it, like, you, like, start flicking it, it's going to yeah. say, like, hey, it's going to hit you. It's going to say, stop it. Exactly. You know, a night before bed, he feeds it a couple, you know, crumb. <laughs> it is It is a spectacular hair. It's just snoring. Bed. Like, Donald Trump is, like, his hair, like, <laughs> Dude, it is it is insane. It's a work of art, believe me. They'll probably have it in the Smithsonian after he's gone. Oh, true. I um, had uh, the one episode where he was on. I was. I don't know if it was Jimmy Kimball or a different talk show. It was one. It was one of the terrible ones. But he was on the talk show. This was right before the election, and everything. And one yeah. of them said, "Like, can I like fluff your hair?" And they're like, I "Oh yeah, do no, that. I think I saw this clip." Yeah. Yes, 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 yeah. I want to do that. So I want to. I want to fluff his hair. Yeah, <laughs> I was just like. I want to run my is. hair through it. Like, what is this made of? Is this fake? What is this? They had to have talked to him beforehand. Like, hey, I want to do this to you. And he's probably like, yeah, get the glue in there. You know what I mean? Or whatever he needs. Um, Truly. But, uh, you know, it is what it is. Um, yeah. It, it, it's crazy, my man. Mm-hmm. Um, you, can, you can say whatever you want about the presidents, but the last two have been very entertaining. Oh, yeah. I think, you know... It's really interesting, I think, and we always end up having these great deep conversations, but I, I really think it's interesting how we have not had overwhelmingly, you know, I feel like the country has not had great candidates the past couple of times in general. Um, I think, you know, if you've really liked a candidate, it's been ultimately like one side. There has been a vast majority of, I think, the entire populace that has been like, okay, these are, I have, you know, even if I hate or love this candidate, at least I understand and there's a sec- acceptability of why they're in the positions that they're in. Yeah. Um, from their prowess. Um, and it's just, it's, it's interesting that that has been the case. And also the tactics in the, probably in the past decade, maybe since like early 2000s, 2007, we'll say, just because everybody got a smartphone and like, then internet and um, data was so accessible to everybody that all of a sudden, you know, politicians, these tricks that they had relied on or, you know, even the media had relied on to um, withhold this information or say this information, everything can be basically fact-checked constantly. And so we're, we're in this overwhelming state where now everybody has access to information they didn't have before. And so a lot of the, what I'm getting at is a lot of the tactics I think that has, worked in the past for someone to succeed, especially politically, because that's what we're talking about. And, but in anything in public, um, don't, it's totally new playbook. Anymore. Yeah. It's a totally new playbook now because yeah. everybody's got these, the same access to information everybody else has and an mm-hmm. instantaneous access, yeah. which is nuts, dude. It's yeah. Like again, with like, again, with innovation, with everything that we've had in the past 20 years. Yeah. You can't, you, I mean, you have access to that information, but to a point like some of that doesn't even matter because yeah. some, because people won't, I don't, don't think the normal person will do their research because like you said earlier, a lot of this is a popularity contest. Dude, Even yep. in like the 20, so like, I feel like Donald Trump, when he ran for president with, uh, against Hillary Clinton, they set a semi new standard for how this is going about. And it wasn't really a real 
it was a debate. Don't get me wrong. It was a debate on policies and everything, but it didn't really become about but the policies. Are the debates really debates though? Because no, it's I feeling like, matches. Yeah, it's like ponage. It's like how uh, how much can you uh, own this person online? And you get that little tight clip of that. You put it on a YouTube short online, and people are gonna go like, oh, and then they're gonna vote for that guy because he owned that person in a debate. But so in that end, no one's really looking at the policies of that person again it's it yeah yeah again you we have access to all the information we have all of it not everything but all of it right and we we don't do our individual research because there's it seems like there's so much of it there's so much of it and it gets overwhelming and you know it's just easy to check out on that stuff and that's and everybody's busy. Everybody's got the normal stresses of lives. Yeah, man, Listen, I can't do all this research. Yeah. I have a job to Dude, do. Dude, I got a job. I got inflation super high. I'm, I'm struggling here. What, yeah. I'm not, not going to go home after I'm exhausted from my long day <laughs> and put my feet up and open, you know, a political agenda. Or not political agenda, no, but just I'm, politics for I'm, the next I'm six hours. I'm drinking this on the way home. Yeah. And <laughs> uh, not on the way home. Caniche. Yeah. Shout ca- out to that. Caniche. That's it. Yeah, I like that little... On the end of it. Yeah, it's very fancy. Uh, I'm a very fancy individual. Always, always my friend. <laughs> um, but yeah, no one has time to really do the research. And yeah. I, on the one hand, I totally understand. And it, and maybe that is the thing that they're counting on. A lot of, you know, uh, you know, politicians to get somewhere. You know, mm-hmm. th- recently, I don't know if you're aware of this. I was, I, you know, I found out there was a story about, I think it was a Republican candidate. Uh, and not to dig on Republicans or Democrats, but there was just, he, he, was a Republican and um, I believe, and he somehow got into, I can't remember if it was a Congress or maybe he was a representative in the house and he lied about his entire background and um, like lied about everything. Yeah. School he went to like his accolades, all this stuff. And then it was found out about it after he was already like in the, the position and it was a completely a new precedent. I don't know how, I, I know it was like big at the time. I, I don't know if so many, if so many people are or how many people are aware of this. And I wish this is the, the point in the mm-hmm. podcast in the future we were going to have is uh, the ability to you know pull up on the internet these stories that I am bouncing off the top of my head. Um, but it would help us if I could pull up that story right now and give you guys his name. But it's ridiculous. I f- I feel like and it was a major story, but it it you know the crazy thing about our news cycle is it's so quick that mm-hmm. I think we forgot about it really quick, but oh, yeah. And like there's a current war going on with Russia and yes. Ukraine and that's yesterday's news. A, war, yeah. a whole war is yesterday's news. Well, the, the sad thing is, is, you know, it was kind of like the same thing with the, you know, uh, the Afghan, uh, the Afghan war and the, all that, all that stuff. I feel like because these wars are not close to home territory yeah. and we're just, blessed and lucky that that is not the case that we don't see you know the devastation you know in our neighbor's yard basically um that they're so far away and they're so long because of our attention span or it seems long because of our attention span that we become at where there's a cycle that happens right you become uh aware of it excited about it you you get overwhelmed by the dramatization of it and just like follow it really closely and then all of a sudden it gets old and you become numb to it And then it's like, oh, yeah, that's going on. And I feel like, you know, that's the saddest part because of how devastating and horrific war is. It's the most. And at the end of the day, the thing that blows my mind about war, and I guess it's the privilege of living in today's society, which has been relatively peaceful, and as well as the awareness of how far we've come 
intellectually as people. But it is nuts to me that war is basically dictated and mostly started and um, strategized about by these few individual people. Mm -hmm. And the people um, that they are commanding and using as tools to get their victory or to succeed in a certain area are the ones that are the ones affected by it. I mean, the leaders at the top usually don't have the skin in the game. I feel like it's not the same as the average private soldier. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, i this is a separate rant and I keep going on tangents. I'm sorry guys, if you're absolutely bored listening to me in your car or wherever <laughs> you're listening, but I mean, I feel like it would, I know that we have people at the top in our government and I think across the board and all the governments would be good. It, it would be good to have, um, obviously people that aren't like this so that they're kept in check, but it's always helpful. I feel like to have someone of military experience or military means that has spent time in the military at a even medium, not necessarily always at a high level so that they understand the weight and the gravity that it is that war is, because Mm -hmm. I feel like as you know, let's face it, a white collar politician, which is mostly what politicians are. They're white collar. They usually come from means. Yeah. Um, they, I think the vast majority of them don't really understand the the weight of the action of what war is and sending mm-hmm. people to war and ca- military campaigns and things like that because they are so desensitized and so separated from it. It's mm-hmm. basically you know an order they can write on a piece of paper and give out. Yeah. Um, and it, it, so that is it's that's the sad part. And also, you know, there's yeah. That's the sad part, I would say. Yeah. yeah. Well, they're not they're not put in a position to where they need to fight physically for that kind of stuff. Yeah. They're in a popularity contest still. They're looking yeah. to get reelected. They're looking to get more votes. They're looking to get this kind of stuff. And if yeah. war is popular or if war is not popular, I guarantee if war was popular, they would immediately flock to that side. Well, Sorry, yeah, but going on like it's war's not necessarily popular, but I understand at all. Don't don't be wrong, war's absolutely horrific. Don't ever, (laughs) no, I do not condone war ever. Um, I don't think anybody should, but I do recognize that there is an industry behind war, and there's you know this uh, people who profit off it. There's a lot of profit that goes into war. We have you know multi billion dollar corporations, I believe, that are you know. yeah, they profit off of war. That's what they do. They mm-hmm. create weapons for war, and you know there's a lot of people that get rich off of war, and so you know they, it also and because there's so much money involved in war, I think you know you can get conspiratorial with it of you know how many times countries are pulled into war because of the economics of war, mm-hmm. because of the greed that a few people or those companies companies have to go into war. It's crazy. It's yeah. above my pay grade. I can't understand yeah. it at all. It's like uh, there's a video that I watched uh, a while back about House of the Dragon. Have you seen House of Dragon, dude? Yeah, heck yeah. <laughs> one of the best. Uh, one of the screw you. The best series in the past several years. I love. Oh man. Love okay, Game I'll fight you on that because I think Succession is up there. <laughs> I just learned about Succession yesterday. I have, n- <laughs> dude. I'm dude. sorry. Oh my gosh, you if shut you like your mouth. You shut button. your mouth. <laughs> I have no opinion. I really don't because I don't know. Oh. Uh, I don't. I anything that I would say about Succession would be fake news because I just learned about it yesterday. I, uh, I I'll, I'll rant about 
Yeah, you know what? Let's uh, let's talk about how you want. Like, you want to switch to TV shows, dude? I'd love to switch to TV cool. shows. I think it's great. We hit on this heavy. I'm sure everybody's completely done with it. I'm kind of over it myself. <laughs> so yeah, but you said House of Dragon. I can. I would say I'm gonna be hoity toity. I concur with that in the sense that I think it's fantastic. It's wonderful. I think obviously we had talked about in the past that you know Game of Thrones in general was a great show. I think it still mm-hmm. is a great show. There was obviously a travesty that happened with the showrunners that of that show and how Mm -hmm. it ended. I think anybody that's a real fan of the show will totally, you know, admit to that and be of the same feeling. Yeah. That being said, house of dragon is fantastic. And you know what I am so excited about Hmm. because house of dragons done. The story of it is well known at least by the game of Thrones community. And so the ending of that is already set in stone. And if you know, I'm not going to spoil the ending, but it is like perfectly beautiful. It is a beautiful ending. And like I, in my head, I have a perfect way to end this. I don't know. Do you know the ending? Yeah, you told. Yeah, but you. Well, they don't know the ending probably. But okay. Um, but but you yeah, told I'm me about what your 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 spec your yeah your your dream ending would be. I want to say it so badly. I like, to, I, like, can I say it? Can I? Am I allowed to say it? Yeah. Right. Um. Uh, I, I just don't want to ruin it for people. That that's fair. Okay. Like, um, you people. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. Um. But you know, it it has so much room for like a absolutely beautiful, beautiful ending. Yeah. and i'm so excited to see how they do that because they've done such a good job so far and the best thing about house of dragon is that they are aware that they messed up with game of thrones and that they aware yeah. that the last season was not as well received but going on that note i i love how i think for a long time you know there's an easy idolatry when someone is so successful with the series mm-hmm. in the sense that like they get a lot of um law passes for more work yeah and db weiss and the other guy uh david benioff yeah um who were of the original game of thrones not to say that they were bad but they completely just ran out on the ending of that show and kind of was a travesty to the fans that it's it's nice as a fan after you kind of like backhanded me in the face with that last show <laughs> to ha- know that you aren't a part of this one and it's still utterly amazing it you know is. what I mean? And so, you know, the fear that they were needed to put on a the same level of content, mm-hmm. it's like, you know, I'm not I'm not evil or trying to be mean to them in any I'm way. I'm not evil. You know in what I mean? I'm not, I'm, not, evil. I'm not grudge holding. That's what I was trying <laughs> okay, to get at. Okay. I'm not holding a grudge <laughs> or anything, but it is nice to be like, yeah, in it can be great. In case you thought Mark was evil. <laughs> yeah, you know, it, it could be great. Yeah. Um, there, you said that you know it's nice that it's complete and uh, everybody knows the story and really we get executed well. What throws me off, and I don't know how to feel about it. And you gotta, you gotta tell me your feeling on the matter. Ooh. This feeling. green light that HBO is has of making redoing Harry Potter. Dude, tell me about this because it wasn't. I know everybody's talking about it right now, but it literally. It was not that long ago those movies came out, and it was so what well was casted. Wrong with the movies, Dude, what, Thank you. What is wrong <laughs> with the movies, guys? What is wrong? I know they haven't gone as in depth, but they are movies. Yeah. So when when Pete when Percy Jackson, if you've seen, if do you know anything about Percy Jackson? So I'm not. I'm not. I don't know about the story, but I have seen the movies, the okay. original movies. So the Percy Jackson book series 
is awesome. It's so good. Rick Riordan did such a good job with yeah. those characters and such a great series of books. The movie screwed it up royally, epically, in every way, shape, or form. The actors did a fine job. The whole story was trash. The everything was it was not good. Yeah. And they made a new series that's coming on Disney yeah. Plus very soon. Rick Riordan is part of it. There's a reason that needs to be made because the movies were terrible. So that makes sense. Yeah. What was wrong with the Harry Potter movies? And they're all beloved. Even Dude, the bad ones are okay. beloved. It, that's not even true. There's not, in my band, there's not really a bad Harry Potter movie. Yeah. There's a not as good Harry Potter movie. There's not a bad Harry Potter movie. And also the ending of that is like chef's kiss. Who's going to replace Daniel Radcliffe as Harry Potter? He's known as Harry Potter. Who's going to replace Emma Watson? Who's going to replace Rupert Grimth? None of that makes any sense. Everyone was cast to the T. How are they going to cast everyone else if everyone was so perfect to begin with why are you doing this hbo or just max why are you changing your show to max how That's do you feel stupid. about the new name max yeah stupid. exactly <laughs> stupid same i feel like hbo was such an iconic name everybody's so aware of the supremacy and it already associated with that brand yeah we're gonna get back to harry potter i just that that hit me i was like why are you why max <laughs> why max I, I know they're merging the content but now it's just I don't know why they merged the content. I don't know. Because HBO is such a different like field than Discovery has to me. Like the whole brand the brand, the con the type of style of content it's totally different. But yeah. Yeah, it I don't know. It doesn't make any sense. And I did see a video of uh, uh one of HBO's executives. I don't know if this is the CEO, I don't know if this is the main but what what I do like about HBO Max, I'm going to refer to it as HBO Max. You cannot. Yeah. It's like when Facebook changed to Meta. I'm going to refer to it as Facebook because get out of my face. No pun intended. Um, they said they want to go for scripts quality for they're going for quality over quantity they're going the exact different route that disney yeah. went they're going for quality over quantity they want to make sure the script is great before they actually release the series and they made that very clear in uh, the uh, hbo series house of dragon in the last of us in uh what is zendaya's show again whatever that euphoria. one was euphoria like all of those shows they want to make sure that the story process is good before they release that stuff and they're going for quality over quantity I think that's Unlike the key to Disney their success. Yeah. 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 And again, Disney with uh, their recent rehiring of their last executive, or what was his name? Uh, not Bob Iger, oh, but... Uh, no, Bob, it Iger. Bob Iger. Yeah, it Bob, is Bob, Bob Iger. Iger. They yeah. replaced Bob Chapek, Chape yeah. I think. With yeah, Bob, Bob Iger. Iger got rehired back, and that was one of his... Uh, things that he said they were going to change. Instead of releasing just content, 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 right. they're going to focus on the quality before that. And right. they changed their business strategy because of that. And I feel like HBO Max started doing that before them. They realized they had some success in that with House of the Dragon and all of their very well-done shows uh, that they're taking a page from that. I don't know what my original uh, getting to that was, but it doesn't make any sense that they would remake Harry Potter. Yeah. What do you, I mean, what, I mean, I've ranted and screamed and no. cried. What do you think? Oh, so many emotions. I, I, no, I, I, you know, I'm at a catch 22 with the whole thing. I think that it's kind of, it's way too short of time to want to remake a series, yeah. especially a, ser uh, a, a franchise that is, is so well done. I thought for sure they would have, if it, if it were me, my go-to would have been to explore the world outside of that, explore side characters. Like it would have been great to, you know, um, Maybe like Dobby's world, maybe Hagrid's world, the Giants world, like yeah. going all this stuff. What, even better, what would have been amazing to me, and I've always been curious as a fan, although granted, 
I'm not as hardcore of a fan as some people. I stopped at the fifth book because the movies were coming out and whatever. Um, but that being said, I thought it would have been really cool to have a almost a prequel series of how the founding of Hogwarts was made with all those great wizards. Yeah. That would have been fascinating to me mm-hmm. because that would be a story that everybody's aware of but never seen uh, seen the fruits of, never seen the, that come to fruition yet. Yeah. And so now we're going into this with having, for me, I'm going in with an expectation, uh, expectation that is royally hard to beat, an expectation that is terrified that you're going to screw up these characters who are my childhood wrapped up Mm -hmm. in nostalgia. Now I'm a millennial. So like I grew up with these characters and like the same time, I feel like even, you know, uh, the Gen Z's and whatever you grew up with them as well. I mean, yeah, I wanted to go, I went to, I went to theaters to go see like the last two movies. Yeah. One of the last Harry Potter movie. That was one of the best theater experiences of my entire life. The entire, it was like Endgame. The entire audience was like, was cheering at the right moments when Bellatrix died. Right. We were like, screw you. When Voldemort died, or like everyone is like in your face. When McGonagall, when McGonagall took on Snape. And when she uh, raised the statues and said, I always wanted to use that spell. How are you going to be? Maggie Smith. Maggie dude, Smith. Maggie Smith. You can't dude. beat her. But they were all iconic actors. I mean, how are you going to recast these absolutely? F- and granted, I'm an actor, so I understand, like, how are you going to recast these people? And I know that those other actors are like, I'm just as good. You probably are just as good. But they are so cemented as not only originating these characters, but so I think that such a strength of those movies to me, and I've heard it said by somebody else, but such a strength, and I'm going to echo their statement, but such a strength of those movies was the casting. Is the casting. The, the casting yeah. of those movies, yes, the filmmaking was phenomenal as well. I mean, you had some directors coming out and doing some incredible work, and like the set design and everything like that, bringing those movies to life was amazing. It was movie magic. You saw those movies. Beautiful. But the casting is just a, throughout the entire series, such a through line of spectacular effort. Mm-hmm. Um, it was just amazing. I, I like the, the casting is so strong in all those movies and you know, I've seen some ideas on the new cast and stuff like that. And there is a fear that right now with the wokeness, it's going to permeate in that and really kind of like mess up the, I- the idea of, um, you know, what these characters should be, at least the original originated as. Oh boy. And so, yeah, exactly. And, and that, and on the, in, God, I think that when you try to appease everybody in any endeavor, even outside of, you know, uh, movie making or politics or anything, anything, if you try to appease everybody, you are doomed to fail. Mm-hmm. You have to like, you, you cannot, especially when it's something creative, you have to hold true to the story and the art first. Mm-hmm. If you try to supersede that with, um, fucking the, you know, uh, an any idea to peace, ideology, yeah. any uh, yeah, exactly, uh, uh, kneeling down to any sort of fear, uh, any anyone exactly a fear, a fear of like a, a fear of offending somebody, a fear of not representing some, a fear yeah. of doing this, a fear of going against the culture, that yes. kind of stuff. Instead of just telling the story the way it should be. Exactly. If you, a hundred percent, I think it's just a recipe for disaster. And so I, especially dealing with something that is so, um, has already been so gripping to fans and has such a diehard, um, fan base around it. 
there's just a big fear as a fan that it's going to be screwed up. Yeah, I mean, it's the same thing with like yeah. all of this, this, a lot of the Star Wars content. I used to adore Star Wars. And again, right. I was excited as every other Star Wars fan when new Star Wars content was coming out. And I think a, a general but not a huge fear originally was mm. that they were going to release too much. It was going to become so much. And Dude, I, I thought that too for a while because they were just doing so many series, pop, yeah. popping them out and like the movies. Yeah. Keep going, yeah. And yeah, and, and now it's, it. we've gotten to that point. Uh, we've gotten to the point with Mandalorian. We've gotten to that point with a bunch of the other TV shows that are now irrelevant that no one cares about. No one needs to see. No one needs to see Book of Boba Fett. Um, it, the story has become second and content has become first. Um, and that's not what we originally talked about. We were talking about uh, woke, but uh, politics has no, invaded. I mean, same vein. Yeah, yeah. Politics has invaded movies politics and for not uh, the right reasons, in my opinion. And uh, I'm not, that's not saying that you can't make a movie about politics. That's not saying a movie that you can make a movie with a message, yeah. but the message has superseded the story in so many ways. And you have a bunch of young filmmakers that I've talked to. It's like, I want my movie to say, have this message. I want my movie to have this message. It's like, but if you don't tell a story, no one's going to give a crap about that message. Yeah, if dude. you don't tell a good story, a well-executed ex- story, your message means jack. And yeah. that shouldn't be the case to say it, to tell a message when you make a series, make a, make a movie. You should want to tell a story first and foremost, yeah. and everything else will fall on top. Entertain, tell a story. The nugget is the message, if that's it. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, a lot of movies that are successful don't really have a big message, but they're super entertaining and super, you know, the story's yeah. there. The story is executed well. Exactly. I mean, that's the reason why I've talked about this a bajillion times, but again, it's one of the reasons why Avatar was so successful. It's the mm. reason why John Wick 4 is so currently amazingly <laughs> successful. Dude, I haven't seen any of the John Wicks. I need to see them. Bro, it's so, like, I, I feel know. like the craft in it is the biggest thing. Like, the story yeah. uh, is very basic, but the craft in it is gorgeous like you want to see a guy shot by a exploding <laughs> gun and have him yeah. flung through five walls and land on fire still screaming alive and run away and then get shot again yeah go see john wick four that stuff's amazing but dude it is the craft in that is amazing the stunts the set pieces the cinematography all of that's amazing but the core of it is the execution of the story mm. it's the same thing with top Ma- top gun maverick the core of it was the execution dude, yeah. of the story and that's why people are like this is cinema the execution of it is perfect the story simple as it may gets everything you need across mm. like i got i teared up a little bit in top gun maverick like oh. i cheered a lot in top gun maverick like yeah. i that movie hit every emotional beat it needed to and i didn't and it didn't need yeah. to tell an extravagant story it didn't need to tell an abrasingly absurd crazy uh story but it did everything that it needed to do and again that's why so many that's why spielberg told tom cruise bro you saved the Save movies the theaters. Yeah. yeah i uh yeah going on that Tangent, you made me think about everything everywhere all at once and how not only innovative, but how many emotional hits that that movie mm-hmm. made you feel. So if you don't know, we're getting nerd, we're getting nerdy here, but dirty, um, <laughs> dirty, nerdy, but um, everything everywhere all at once, one best picture this year. Yeah. And so, uh, yeah, if you haven't seen that movie, I can't recommend it enough. I know it's not probably a movie for everybody. Um, most people that I've shown it to love the movie, but I have showed it to a couple people that are just like, yeah, it's okay. Um, but I think as someone that, you know, likes movies, watches movies all the time, it's just something different. It's so innovative. They try to do so many things. And even though it seemed overwhelming amount of things that they attempted, they accomplished 
you know, all of them, probably not at like, well, even then they, they accomplished all of them at like a really good level, like amazing level. And, um, the acting is phenomenal. Uh, I still kind of am hurt that the, I forgive me. Cause I don't know her name off the top of my head, but the main the, actress. Yeah. The, the, not the main actress, but the daughter Michelle, that played oh, I don't know his daughter's name at the, all. Da- the daughter's name is fantastic. And it, it hurts me that I, that I am, I cannot think of her name off the top of my head. Um, because she's such a phenomenal actress and I feel like she should have won, um, mm-hmm. the award outside of, I think it was Jamie Lee Presley that won, right? Maybe I didn't, I didn't pay attention to okay. it as much as possible. Like the Oscars, like a lot uh, of the that. Oscars has gone. The only reason I'm not, it, yeah, the, I, yeah. Man, well, we can, we can talk about it in a second. The only reason I wanted to pay attention a little bit to the Oscars is like, yeah. I kept up the updates cause I wanted a short round to win. Cause Freaking heck yes. I'm so happy that that guy's back in acting and that Harrison Ford was up there to give him uh, yeah. the award. That's so fun. Um, I'm happy that he, like, and his speech was great. And Brendan Fraser, I'm happy that he won. I, outside of that, I don't give a crap about the Oscars. And I haven't yeah. given a crap about the Oscars for many years. There was a, someone else that I thought, uh, outside of Brendan Fraser, although he was great, um, it's still acting wise to me, and now I'm upset because I can't think of the name, even though I brought it up. Right? I think the guy who played Elvis was very Elvis. Much- yeah, Elvis was the favorite, I think, and then Brendan Fraser was like the dark horse everybody we kept talking about. Yeah, um, maybe they you know switched as like they were both top for the favorite, but then I thought Colin Farrell was great in The Banshees of Inner Sharon. Did you ever see that movie? Nope, still haven't seen that one. Uh, I apologize. No, I I recommend that to everybody as well. It's listening. really hard for me to see movies that I don't have an initial interest in. Yeah, and I just have to build that up. Um, I will see a, a movie that I have uh, rewatched as of recent that gets better and better each time is Prisoners. Dude. Bro. <laughs> okay, honestly, if I ever can, I would love to talk to as well as just, you know, work with, if not just be in the same room with Denny Villeneuve. I think he's such a talented filmmaker. Oh, my gosh. And he sur- you sur- like, you know, he surrounds himself with such a fantastic team of individuals that are artists at the top of their craft. And they, you know, they execute at the, the finished project product that they come out with always is as from a fan, a viewer. I'm just overwhelmed with pleasantry. Every single it's time amazing the craft it. that he has. Yeah, and dude. Uh, he like, but uh, just look at prisoners for a second. Like, uh, dude, and, and the really breadth awesome. of everything he did, prisoners, Sicario, um, Blade Runner 2049. Blade Run- <laughs> yeah, man. I don't think that gets nearly the amount of love it should because of the cinematography alone is utterly amazing. I think he finally won for that. Uh, Roger Deakins finally won for that movie. Oh, yeah. Um, and, and let's not forget Dune. Yo. Dune. I'm excited for that sequel. Um, but no, he is. He does surround it like... Again, with Prisoners Alone, you have Hugh Jackman and Jake Gyllenhaal. Those are the two main leads. That's already amazing. Yeah. And you have Viola Davis. She amazing. doesn't even play a big role. She's just a supporting actress, and she still kills it. But she it. steals the scenes that she's in, dude. When she's, yeah. when she's confronting Paul Dano, who is, if you do Paul Dano as that character, is terrifying Bro. and great. Mm-hmm. Um, great. 
Yeah, that's and, what that's the movie he played crazy correct, not the Batman. I like the Batman. I don't Oh, you didn't he, like him in the Batman? No, not really. No, no. I think he was too He didn't weak. stand out like in a bad way for me. It was so like his scene where the Batman was interrogating him was so hilarious because he was like, "No, that's not how it's supposed to get." Like you like, buddy, you yeah. look like a little beta male. Like what are you doing? Like what everything <laughs> he did was just so over the top and really? ridiculous that I couldn't help but like I had people who were laughing in the theater like, yeah. "What are you doing?" And I, I don't know. I, I he should have kept that mask on. I, don't, I didn't. I don't know. I like the, Batman's a good movie. It's just I think that was a bit of a miscalculation of what he did in that movie. Gotcha. In my in my res, not respected opinion, my unhumble, arrogant, I'm better than everyone opinion. Well, like so this is a great segue. So I, I wanted to talk to you also about like you. You know, you're you're a cinematographer and you're exploring your craft and you're you're trying to you you. Every year um, that I've known you, obviously, in a very short amount of time that, you know, uh, we've been together as far as friends, um, you know, you keep getting better and better and better. And so I want to ask, like, is, when you're putting together something and you're maybe like your first day of set, are you like, what is the most overwhelming thing to you that you fill with? Are you do you feel, in other words, are you very prepared when you get to set? Are you even however much you're prepared? Is there a moment that you're overwhelmed before you start working at all? Yeah, um, every single time. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, I don't know what the most overwhelming thing is. I feel like the best thing that I got going for me when I'm, at least when I'm directing something, is that I know what I want to accomplish. And everything else is problem solving. And I feel like I'm relatively decent at problem solving. Um, but there are people, there are people who do it like way better than me. It's like Asa Denning, like Asa, my guy, like he does it way better than me. He just knows tech way better than I do. And there are people who just do that way better than me. But uh, the biggest hurdle is just yeah. that initial, the, the first day, like getting used to the entire cast and crew right. usually is the biggest stress for me because I have to, gain the trust of everybody i have to gain like i do know what i'm doing uh you can trust my opinions and doing this and this and yeah. let's get comfortable with this and like as it goes along everyone gets comfortable with everybody and uh trusts like okay we're doing this for like we know what we're doing we're capturing great content we i can trust you to do what you need to do i can trust you trust you you need to do what you need to do um but the initial part of gaining everyone's trust is usually the hardest part for me yeah i I can understand that. It's like establishing yourself in like a, not necessarily a leader's role, but a, a point of like, hey, uh, I'm a point of authority here as well. And, and like you can trust me to kind of bounce your ideas off of yeah. and stuff like that. And, and I'm not just a, a piece of furniture here. I'm, I'm yeah. here to help with everybody as well. I get that, man. And um, it is always, I think it's always, like it's always nerve wracking that first day, dude. It is, it is utterly terrifying the first day, especially, you know, when you're filming out a sequence. I don't know how you feel, but like, I'm sure when you're trying to get near a, maybe like it's a tent scene, right? And it just happens that shooting schedule, it's one of the first days and you have to shoot this big climactic scene of Gosh. the story and everybody's got to be on point. But you know, if you're filming outside, maybe the weather's good that day. So that works. Or if it's just like we have, you know, the money works out in such a way that we have mm -hmm. this stage for this time, whatever. And you have to film that big pivotal scene that first day. 
Mm-hmm. God, it is nerve wracking. It is terrifying, and it, <laughs> I, I don't know if you felt this before, but yeah. this overwhelming sense of I'm doing something wrong, and oh, it yeah. overwhelms your mind, oh, and it, it impedes you from working on other people. Like it, there's a certain amount of like blockage that happens. Uh, when I'm working, when I feel like yes. I know I'm doing something wrong here and people are like asking me questions and I can barely answer the questions because I'm like, I'm stuck on this. Like what's, what's wrong? I just don't know what's going on. Uh. And there, there's that that I get stuck on sometimes. And there are other times where like things are going great and like ideas are popping off and people are having a great time. Mm. And then there's just, there's just that overwhelming sense. Like something's wrong. I don't know what it is. How do yeah. you, so on that note, how do you feel like, have you ever, okay, have you ever had, you're filming a scene, right? Yeah. And you don't have much time. So you have, and you have to move on. But when you, when you feel like, you're like, yeah, I got it, but it's not my favorite or it's not really, I feel like we should get this better, but we just don't have time. We have to keep moving. Yeah. How do you get over that? Because like that's the worst thing, I, dude. My in working, that's the worst feeling. Is that and granted, that's when I think a lot of faith comes into other team members, and maybe yeah. where they're like, "Yeah, we've got it. Don't worry about it." But you, as maybe the perfectionist in your artistry, right? You're wanting so badly to feel okay with what you've done. At least you've you've given like I, you don't want to leave the situation thinking like I could have done this better. I know I'm capable of better. Yeah. And yet that is the worst feeling. I don't know how, if you know, you felt that, how you navigate that situation when you have to keep going. I, I just have to put on a brave face at that point, even though like you, I mean, the, my problem is I'm a big, I'm a bit of an introvert. And so that usually comes across around the time where I'm getting tired of talking to people <laughs> and I just need to take a break. I, yeah. Usually I need to take a freaking break mm. and I just need to be alone for a second. Like just recount everything. It's like, okay, let's think for just a second because usually when I'm on set, I'm, I'm executing the plan. Mm. And if the plan goes awry, sometimes I just need a second. Like I need to rethink how I can start. Like I need, I need to rethink like, where do I, okay, what am I missing? Okay. That's what I'm missing. Okay. How can I fix that? I can't go back and redo that. I can do something else instead. Okay, let's try that. Let's do that instead. It's for it's it's trial and error for me. It's a because I don't do everything perfect, but it's a process of just stepping back and breathing for a second and talking to other people, um, uh, talking to the cinematographer, talking to the actors, and like, well, what do y'all think? Because I've leaned on the, my actors a lot in the past. And sometimes they've had like great ideas. Like I've, pe- I've leaked on Peter, like for a scene on ground zero, like this isn't working. Like, I don't know what it is. It's not working. And he said like, what if I do this instead? Like, yeah. Cool. And he did that. And like, that's great. And it just, and, it rein- and that reinvigorates me when people are as invested as you and just in- invested in working at the problem. Cause I get that feeling of I'm the only one, uh, struggling or coming up with, or I have to work, I have to do this by myself, but you have other people that are working on the same project who want this to be as good as you do. And I'm afraid to lean on them sometimes. So when I get someone who's, uh, as workable with, uh, like I did with ground zero with Peter and Abigail or like the other films that I've done with Keanu and Amber and all of the other people that I've worked with on those films, when I get to lean on those people and they present their ideas and it's like, it's so nice to lean on your team. 
on that and to feel like you're not alone and you don't have to come up with every decision yourself. And uh, yeah. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm with you. It, it, the collaboration is the best part. I think of working on a film set uh, when you have good yeah. people that you're surrounded by. That's the, the best thing working on any art project. If it's outside of like, there is something that is nice when you, you know, you experience like an art medium and you're the, the, the one creator, even in business, right? If you're the, the person that's pulling on the strings and it's like you're the mastermind behind everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and if your business is something you can do on a solo level, it's great. Same thing like with a piece of art. If you're like the painter and you've got complete um, total control of your craft, there's something magical about that because everything is, is a product of yourself and um, you don't have anybody that can screw anything up, yeah. right? But at the same time, the catch-22 is is if anything goes awry, it's all on you. Yeah. And so, but when you run into problems on a massive team project, which inevitably film always is, you are able to lean, especially if you surround yourself with good people, um, on their you know, uh, their creative efforts and their, their uh, professionalism and th- what they bring to the table. And it usually you know, opens up something super special and something that you couldn't, couldn't do as an individual. Um, you can only achieve like with the connection of everybody else. You know what 100%. I mean? percent. Yeah. Have yeah. you had moments like that as an actor where you just, it's, it's just clicking. Everyone's clicking. And it's, and it's, it's the moment like where afterwards you're like, dude, let's get a drink. Let's relax. Cause we just killed it. We just killed it. Yeah, dude. You want that to happen all the time, right? Um, inevitably, it usually happens shockingly rarely, even though that yeah. you're shooting for it. And But it is, it's the reason why I like to act. It's the high that I get. It's like, the high you get, and I've talked about this before, and it's really hard to articulate, um, but it's like you are, you're manipulating yourself to, live in fictional circumstances as if it were true reality to the sense that there is no contrivance or performance. That's the, what the supremacy of acting is, is when you literally, there is no acting. It's just them being everything you do when you're in that state is, is true or real. There is no wrong choice because in that state, everything you would do because you're living so presently, Mm -hmm. um, that it is just the character doing that, whether it's like, you know, you're coughing, you're laughing, whatever that it's not even called for in the script. It's fine because in that moment you are so present, there is no um, suspension of disbelief from the audience to think that, Oh, that's fake or, Oh, they broke character. There's no breaking character because they're just that character. Yeah. And that is, and it's something everybody strives for. And the great ones really, even when they don't feel that way, they can fake it. Right. Um, yeah, that's why it's called acting. You're acting that. Yeah. But the best actors, they are the ability to be just like an exposed nerve and be so pre- present that they're able to do that. And anything they do is true. It's right. And so when you're in a, a scene or sequence where other actors are, you're there, or better yet, it's always the other person that kind of can get you there. or um, And that, that helps um if they're bringing a lot of energy and you're bringing energy and you guys meet and it becomes this, 
it's thrilling. There's no other way to describe yeah. it. It's so thrilling that you're in the zone, like you would be in sports, right? You're in the zone, and it's thrilling. You don't know what's going to happen, but you are so present, and you're so reactionary off of what they're doing, but so in tuned and so exposed um, empathy-wise empathy and exposed um, presence-wise that your reaction is not verbose or, 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 or too big. There's nothing that is fake about it. It's, it is true. And so that is the most fun thing. It is utterly insane the high you get because you cannot believe after it's over, you cannot believe that that just happened. You can't believe because you, the, the emotions that you come up with, the, the manipulation of your body, the physical reaction that you were exuding from it, you, you can't believe that that was the case or even, and you have to be, you, Careful because a lot of actors, you know, you're riding a knife's edge because when you, when you pull that, you flip that switch um, emotionally and you're so present and you're playing something difficult or that opens up a lot of trauma, um, you can get lost in it. And, it, and it's mm -hmm. one of those things because the, the physicality or the mental state that you put yourself in can last longer than the scene. Yeah. And so you can find yourself... You know, that's why a lot of actors will be like, give me a minute or whatever afterwards. Mm -hmm. um, but it is, I'm, this is a tangent, but to answer your question, it is the most thrilling, amazing thing that you want to happen so much more often than it does. Mm -hmm. But when it does happen, there's nothing like it. Yeah. It's, it's utterly amazing and it, it makes everything worth it. And shockingly, I think a lot of people, the medium doesn't allow that. So I, I've never acted on a soap, but that is much more, that is a different type of performance acting than mm -hmm. I would, than I would say. It's much more presentational. You know, it's multi-cam, you're on a soundstage. It's not necessarily the same acting that you would get on Prisoners, we were talking about, or something like that. Yeah. Um, that is, that is very much like very raw. Yeah. And that's, that's the acting everybody, at least for me, that's what I pursue is that rawness. Now that being said, I wouldn't say no to like a soap opera gig or anybody giving me that. Yeah. But, um, you, can, you clearly have the comedy down. I mean, <laughs> I, appreciate like, it. I mean, like, I mean, quick, uh, self promotion for, I guess, both of us. There's a short film pit stop. It's currently in the Houston comedy film festival. Yippity yeehaw. Uh, where both you and Peter definitely acted up comedy wise. And you said like, you're more of a drama person, but you still are hilarious in that film. <laughs> Thanks man. Thanks. That was really kind. Um, but I, I will say to your side, I'm not an actor, but I've had the pleasure of working with people who are, who just got in character, who I can, who mm. I like one of the, one of the best actors I've worked with is, uh, her name is Abigail. Yeah. You told me about her a bunch yeah. of times. Uh, she played Rose, uh, in ground zero. Um, a uh, short film that we did. By the way, it's online. Skyward Productions. I keep doing self-promotions. I am arrogant. Hmm. Um, <laughs> but sh there are so many scenes in that film um, where I got the pleasure to not be on camera because Ace was on camera um, and just see her react and just act off it. And the, like one of the best scenes that I got to work with her and Peter on um, was it was just it was in a small room and all it was was I was on camera um, I had my sound guy and it was just the two actors it was very privatized and I got to just see her disappear and she does such a wonderful job with showing everything that you need to from such a very simple reaction yeah. 
And one of my favorite scenes that we did was her walking from one room to another. It seems simple, but her reactions uh, to what was happening in that scene sold every freaking second of it. And you got to see her completely disappear and change on screen. And it was so cool to freaking see because she wasn't given any lines. She wasn't given any real... um, uh, things to say. She was just reacting and walking forward, and she did so much with just that little bit. Of course. They're like, oh my gosh, she's so good. So, hats off to... Dude, that makes me super excited. That's mm-hmm. See, that's that's phenomenal. That Like, that's great. That makes, as an actor, it's like, hell yeah, that's an yeah. awesome win. That's an awesome win for somebody else to achieve that. I think... Uh, yeah. I think... Well, everybody that's seriously pursuing acting, I think, has felt some semblance of it. There are people that pursue acting, I think, that like in performance in general, that they, you can do it for a different number of reasons. Um, like uh, a lot of people sometimes, yeah, granted, we talked about pride kind of earlier in the ego, right? For in earlier in conversation yeah. in a different subject. But there is, like, as a person, there is something about, um, ego stroking that feels good as far as like oh my you know when you're up there and people are applauding you it's great right yeah and so that can be a people that pursue acting i think at first or arts in general whether any art um i think they can get trapped by the notion of tension sinking but at the end of the day because this career is so hard because any art craft is really um really difficult the people that are pursuing it for for years and years I think there's other things that motivate them and the motivation. It sounds like for, you know, people at the pinnacle of their craft is really just the, the, exp- I, I, now I'm, I don't know, but I, for me, I, I find it goes back to that. When you are that present, it sounds like Abigail, you witnessed a moment where she was that present. Mm-hmm. And I bet in that moment to her, it felt amazing. You know what I mean? It was mm-hmm. it was such a, a great thing. Not only did the appreciation that you guys had for her after she did it, but in the midst of it, experiencing that moment as that person where there wasn't any contrivance where she was just living in that moment, I'm sure it was absolutely high to her. And um, I think that that is a chief motivator for anybody pursuing art. Like at the end of the, end of the day, I would assume, granted, I'm not a painter or sketch artist or whatever, but I assume from what I understand it's the art of actually doing it when they're, you know, focused in, in the zone and they're putting together the thing and it's in the flow state. That is the high they get from doing it. It's not necessarily, it feels good of like people appreciating their art afterwards and fawning over a picture they've done. Yeah. But it's that's the act of the, the practice of it. That is the high that they get. And yeah. I think in the same token, it's probably what I do. Same token. I'm, I assume as a cinematography, um, you know, person as a cinematographer, you get when you're on set, when you're creating that perfect shot, when you see that shot and you see it being executed as mm-hmm. it's happening, dude, holy shit. Yeah. It's probably amazing to you. And you can feel it. Like I usually operate the camera when I'm uh, doing cinematography and heck, sometimes I even operate when I'm the director and I just, I, I, I know when the shot is going to work and I feel like this is working. And it, I'm, the midpoint of that shot always gets me nervous mm. because I can feel the shot working and it's like, it's going really well. It's going really well. It's going, it, has just, it just needs to continue to go really well. And sometimes it just kind of drives like, oh, for the love. And, but, but it's that like, it's that rare moment is like that whole shot worked out. 
that was so good. And sometimes yeah. that sometimes that happens. The actor like I could do I could do that again. And it's like we're not going to do it again. That was perfect. <laughs> it's just so. But again, they're thinking about their performance. Uh, sometimes where I'm more, a little more thinking about like how to execute this than the best right, technical right, right, way. Right. Um, I can feel that happen, and it's such a great like. Oh, everything just clicked. That was perfect, and all of that like it just it it does fill you with a certain high. And for those people. I'm not just talking about me in general. I'm talking about other people, uh, you in, uh, included. It's about executing the craft the best way we possibly can, and that yeah. feels so good. It right. feels such that's that fills me with euphoria. Executing something to the best possible technical standard. This poor dog. I know he's crying <laughs> at me. For if you guys probably haven't heard on the audio, maybe you have. My dog is in the background, and it is not his time for dinner, and he knows it. <laughs> But he is begging so hard. He's staring into your soul, he my is. guy. He's just watching me wanting food so badly. I'm going to walk through this gate in a second. I know. I'm going to commit uh, a felony. But yeah, no. back on that note, though, I would say that uh, everybody knows that perfectionism is an impossibility. Yes. But it doesn't stop us from trying to achieve it. Mm. And it's the hope and desire that at some point we have a moment of perfection or excellence that when that happens, that I think is the thrilling like pinnacle of what we do. Right. It's, so I, it's what people who are creative sub- subscribe to do, at least if you're a filmmaker or I cannot get Cause I can really only speak to that. I think it's end. any art. I think it's yeah. any art though. I think even if you're even, I mean, even a, a sports person, I mean, it's that p- catching a perfect pass as a wide receiver. I'm sure it's like, yeah. Yeah, I got that pass. You got him right in that pocket. You know what I mean? Whatever it is. Or it's like the quarterback is like, yeah, hell yeah, hell yeah, that's going to be great. That's going to be great. And you see that receiver catch it. It's mm-hmm. like, fuck yeah, I just did that. Mm-hmm. Or uh, that running back when he like dodges and spins out of the way and, you know, fucking does whatever yeah. to get out of the pass. It's amazing. Same thing. Also, with- if you're a video game player and you're playing Capture the Flag yeah. and you get all the way from point A to point B perfectly, it is like, this is the best moment of my life. I got to go. Right. Awesome. <laughs> exactly. Any. Any, whether you're an athlete or any creative, I think athleticism is a creative endeavor. I mean, you're, you're thinking on this spot and reacting, but any creative activity, I think that is the, the point is you're trying to execute at the highest level you can and in the spontaneity of the moment. And that's what makes it so thrilling is when you achieve that ex- moment of excellence, when you didn't know it was going to happen and you're, it just happens, dude, it's thrilling. It's thrilling. dude. Mm-hmm. Hey, cheers. Hey, cheers. We're back. <laughs> Welcome back from the break. Yeah. This uh, podcast is sponsored by not this because we're not. Yeah, we're not. <laughs> we definitely don't have that sponsor, but yeah. we're drinking Kelp now. I guess it's a, a cognac. So yeah. tell me tell me what you think of this. It's going to be my first time trying this. It's kind of like a... Um, it's more, it almost feels like a syrupy taste. A yeah, little, there's a like, syrupy like very subtle end. syrupy taste. Yeah, you almost get that. Uh, oh, that's got a like great a plum, aftertaste. Yeah, a plum kind of aftertaste to it. Yeah, I like that. That's it's, interesting. It's nice. It's interesting. There's a depth to it. Oh, I'm like pancakes in the morning. That's beautiful. This is Dude, like, nice. That's what I'm getting, that maple. Uh-huh. Nice. That's okay. Beautiful. I don't know why. That got me super excited. I don't know why. I, I like <laughs> syrup, dude. Let's. Yeah, syrup, right? Heck yeah. That being said, though, uh, side note, best breakfast food on earth probably is pancakes to me. Uh, mm, uh, I, it's hard to it's hard, mm, it's hard to disagree with you on that aspect. Nah, bacon. 
Okay. <laughs> I can't. I, I was about to say really, and then I was like, no, you're right. You're right. No, Bacon's pretty I, good. I, I challenge you to watch the Darkest Hour, which is the Winston Churchill movie. Oh yeah, and see the opening few minutes of the movie where they're preparing Winston Churchill's meal yeah. for the morning, which apparently he just ate the most unhealthy stuff. It's kind of like Warren Buffett, though. Yeah, he, he eats had, McDonald's every day or something. Yeah. I mean, the guy, like, he ate um, uh, these thick strips of bacon, whiskey in the morning, or brandy. I think, oh, I think it was brandy. And then a cigar in the morning. And it just looks at the boy with the bacon. It looks amazing. amazing. It makes you hungry. And yeah. like, I want all of what he has. That's beautiful. That's a, that's a good, uh, that's a good breakfast drinking movie. Hell yeah. Um, for the opening. <laughs> so, uh, by the way, really I think good. that he is, he and Daniel Day-Lewis, best actors alive right now, I think. I mean, there are a couple other people that I find utterly utterly amazing. Like, I think, uh, do you know who Billy Crudup is? I don't think so. Maybe, maybe I've seen a movie of him. Okay, he's, he's great. He's in, um, I'm trying to think, he was just in, Stanford Prison Experiment. He was in Watchmen. He was in. Uh, I definitely I've seen Watchmen. Okay, but he's great. Um, if you don't know who that is, look him up. He's great. He's like a. He's not a massive like a list person. You would you, you see all the time, but he's fantastic. I'm happy we can still keep a friendship for me. I know. Yeah, I know who he is. So <laughs> Dude, thanks. Appreciate it. Of course, man. Um, but yeah, yeah, yeah. But side note, I mean, as far as you you go, um, cinematography wise. What are your, like, if you you look at yourself, like, what are the f- next things you want to, like, work on, get better at? Um, yeah. Better question. Ten years, you look back at yourself now. What would you probably tell yourself to focus on? Lighting. It's oh, still really? something that I'm struggling to learn. Uh, now. Like, yeah. ain't, ain't camera... Operating the camera, you're, very, angles. you're adept at, at lighting so far. I mean, with you, you make things, you make shots out of you know rudimentary what, what you have. Sometimes it's pretty, you know, it's it's nice to see you conceptualize and, and pull it together like. Thank that. Thank you, yeah. I appreciate that. Um, the one thing that I struggle with is temperature, and uh, so for those of you intensity. listening, what do you think, what do you mean by temperature in the light? Uh, temperature in the light, just like uh, where it matches with the camera, where the Kelvin is. Uh, uh, it's good for skin tones and stuff like that. Right. So you mean like the color of light? The color of light. Yeah. Right. 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 So um, like uh, for people listening, when you're when you talk about lights, this is kind of like the nerdy kind of lighting thing. But when you when you look at lights, your standard like light bulb in your house, it's got a certain colored temperature, and usually they're kind of like a yellowish color temperature yeah. versus like an LED like white light that you would think of like yeah. you go into some houses, you might you know, go to your friend's family or maybe like an open house and you see the newer lights are like, whoa, that's really bright and overwhelmingly white compared to, you know, the house I yeah. grew up in, which is kind of a yellowish light. And so there's all different types of color temperatures out there. And that really affects the way a shot looks. Yeah. And I love, I love contrast. I love contrast light. I know a lot of people really prefer this very warm uh, aesthetic. I love contrasts and very sharp imagery. Um, that's just what I prefer personally. Um, but I would, I would like to learn a lot more of how Roger Deakins lights Dude. and of how uh, Emmanuel Lubetsky about a lot of those really good cinematographers. Yeah, uh, a lot more. And I have been learning a lot more as of recent. Um, that will definitely have helped me in the future. But just more about the intensity of lights and how to 
rain and all of that stuff a lot more because that's one of the things that I've just struggled with in the past is temperature and also like matching that with the camera, the intensity mm. of the camera. And so a lot of that stuff is something that I've struggled with. Angles is not something that I struggle with at all. Angles is very easy for me. Like what looks cinematic. I, I feel like I can capture that pretty easily. Like in my head, I can, uh, even if I have to go off script and do something different, I feel like I can come up with something pretty easily, but lighting is something that I, um, uh, I, I do struggle with that. I'm sure it's a, mm. a struggle for most people as well. well. I think it's always like a, a like a something you never completely master, right? Because light is yeah, such a, a thing that you kind of you never like master light, right? You you um, you play with what's given to you. Yeah. So you know you work with what you got and you try to adapt around it to make it like the the best thing it can be. Yeah. And I love I love one source lighting. I love a single source. Um, to where like you have you seen Skyfall? Uh-huh. Yeah, uh, there's one scene where near the end of the film where Bond is running away or running to the enemies or something about that, and there's a burning house in the background. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And what he and what Ooh, Roger Deakins yeah. did in that, in that movie was he milled this giant rig to where all of these lights were burnt or looked like burning lights in one single direction, but that's how that scene was lit. It was just lit by this giant thing that was this one light source. I think you did the same thing in 1917. With the he burning did, yeah. cathedral, yeah, he did uh, the burning cathedral, and so I kind of tried to replicate that to a degree in uh, Ground Zero, where we had uh, we were shooting on this on an office, the second floor of the office, mm. and uh, what I was trying to replicate was sunrise sunset, um, and uh, we had two LED, we had two uh, aperture lights on the outside of the windows, and we had. Uh, Stands that were going up to the second story of the window and punched in. And in post, what we did with those two lights is we combined them into one light and we made it look like a, uh, the sun. And that lit most of the room with like one light in the background that matched the temperature of the lighting um, for bounce just so we can see their faces a little easier. But that like lit the entire room. That's probably one of the most beautiful scenes that I've ever uh, directed again like with Asa who actually mastered everything and all of that stuff with lighting like the man killed it in that scene that's I love that uh, that kind of lighting setup yeah yeah and when you okay so for people just listening what what about what do you what do you mean by bounce so uh, bouncer fill is an extra source I hope I'm not, not going to be butchering this concept um, that's going to be lighting their faces so if we just had this one light yeah that was zooming into the room it would be very contrasty but it'd be very hard to make out their faces because the light's coming from one side of the room and it's lighting up this side but the camera's on this side yeah so we're not well, gonna be getting you, a lot of detail on this yeah so the bounce is gonna be filling this side so we can see their faces a little more see some detail here right so basically a, a bounce is what you you would you would shine something that hits something else so the refracted light fills the shadow of whatever subject exactly, you're hitting. Exactly, yeah. Got it. That's okay. why you see people in behind the scenes uh, in film sets, they have this giant board on outdoor, on outdoor scenes. A whiteboard. Uh, yeah, a whiteboard. And they are either um, directing light towards the actor mm -hmm. or they're creating a shadow above the actor. It's crazy how that can really change the entire look of something. Oh my gosh, yeah. Yeah. And you would think like, oh, what are the a piece of paper or a piece of cardboard has that effect? It really does. Yeah. If you know what you're doing with it, you can paint people with light. The, the The concept of painting people with light blew my mind when someone explained painting with light to me. I was like, oh my God, you are painting. That's insane. <laughs> That's so cool. Bro, 
It's yeah. like art. <laughs> Straight up, I mean, like it blew me, blew me away. The fact that you could pay, and I know photographers all know this, and you know filmmakers as well. But you, you, all the great photographers that shoot for Vogue and stuff like that, they literally paint with light, and that's why they. Mm-hmm. It's really easy, and why you you go to these photography studios that you know you, you see the big white backdrop or whatever. It's it's not necessarily. I mean, they might there might be a function of that white backdrop in a certain shot they're trying to achieve, but the reason why they're in these huge for for you guys at home, uh, they're in these kind of closed environments, these big studio spaces is because it's easier to create the shot you want when you can manipulate every single so- uh, piece of light or light source around you and have full, almost like godlike control of everything yeah. to achieve what you want to achieve. And the irony though is arguably the best light you can possibly use is natural sunlight. Because it has this beautiful soft boxing effects, and when you're listening with the age of Instagram, I'm sure you 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 might have heard like what soft light or window light. Everybody recommends that for your Instagram posts, and it's because of the natural light has this interesting effect of being able to wrap around a subject's face, and it, we which talked about fill earlier, which is having a, a piece of light um, fill a shadowing space, so it doesn't look like you. There's a stark contrast between a lit side of your face and a dark and a dark shadowy side so that it um, the light is almost wrapping around the your entire face and exposing yourself and making you look like you have you're fully lit so all the features of your face can be be seen in a very tasteful aesthetic way Mm -hmm. very long long long-winded explanation there but yeah that's just interesting concept Uh, just to just to clarify what you were talking about with lighting yeah no you're good um I will say to that end, I feel like I always strive for control and capturing outdoor lighting can be beautiful, but it also can be risky. Yeah, because the light changes so quick. Oh my gosh, you can really roll the dice on that stuff. If you don't get it, I mean, everyone talks about golden hour and that's the most beautiful light that you can get. But the problem is it's only around for like 30 minutes. And if you don't hit that in the right window, you will mess it up. Well, interesting nugget on that end. I mean, you look at a movie like The Revenant, which is hailed for its cinematography and the beauty of it. They have no idea how they controlled all that. No, they didn't. I mean, they, they rehearsed a lot of the sequences from what I understand, they rehearsed a lot of those beautiful, if you haven't seen the movie, you should probably see it just because it's beautiful. It's like every single frame is a painting, almost like the YouTube channel. Shameless yeah. plug, go watch that YouTube channel if you haven't seen it. I don't even know you're if they every frame, anymore. every frame of painting? Every, every frame of painting. Mm. It's a side note, that's a, if you're a really, if you're a film nerd at all, go look at that channel, it'll, it'll blow your mind. But regardless, in The Revenant, this movie, it stars Leonardo DiCaprio, um, I, I believe Alfonso Cuaron was the director of it, yep. right? And um, and Emmanuel Lubetsky was Lubetsky the cinematographer. Lubetsky was the cinematographer. So, yeah, you can totally understand we are nerding out right now. But um, <laughs> this movie, is it's just yeah. beautiful. And that's what really... It's, it's shot in such a way that it, it, it seemingly makes you believe that it's all shot in one take. Um, and meaning that there's no cuts in the movie because it's so tastefully edited. No, the edited. revenant, the revenant does have cuts. Uh, I think you're talking about talking about Bert, uh, Birdman. Birdman. Yeah, I, that was the one. I, I I agree, but I thought that the revenant they they try to do the same thing, although the cuts are just seldom, so it looks like they're just extremely long takes, which they are. But I thought that they're more so it um, they're tastefully 
edited, so it looks like it's all one take. Am I wrong? my own existence right now. For the longest time, I thought there were... Because I, 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 it's been I a while since you, I've I have seen, seen it. the Revenant. Yeah, it's been a while since I've seen it, so I might be wrong too. I might yeah. be fucking this up. But I know there are definitely large portions, especially like a battle section. Yeah, 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 yeah. In the very beginning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's incredible. Right. It's incredible how they were able to like stage all of that. And there are like, they, uh, for those of you who don't know, the battle essentially consists of these um, travelers who are being uh, inv- uh, attacked by this in- group of Indians. And there are people in trees and arrows going all over yeah. the place. And it'd be one thing if it was just musket fire, but there's arrows and everything and all of this stuff happening at the same time. And it's all outdoors and it's in the cold and all of it is incredible. And it's amazing that they were able to do this stuff. I mean, people praise uh, special effects in Marvel, Star Wars. All that stuff is really good and the volume and it looks really good. But the fact that you're able to stage this in the, the real outdoors and make it look that good and it's also made in one shot wow well yeah exactly exactly 100 percent. but talking about golden hour is that that movie the reason why you should check it out not only is it is it beautiful like like jacob was just saying but what i understand learning about it is they would rehearse those sequences like you were talking about all day just to wait for golden hour because they were filming with natural light and so Going off what you're saying about how difficult it is filming with natural light because light can shift so much, they had such you have such a small window to execute when you're mm-hmm. filming like that, and um, yet the reason why people strive for it is because if you watch that film, it's beautiful, it's it is. stunning. There, you can't. It's almost it's next to impossible to replicate the beauty of what natural light can do at mm-hmm. certain times of day. And also another beautiful thing is it's also equally difficult to do, or if not. Maybe a, to a lesser degree, small degree, less difficult. But candlelight, candlelight is a beautiful light. Uh, like having firelight and candlelight is mm-hmm. a beautiful, beautiful light. And it can be faked at times, but not perfectly. But when it's done, it's and done well. It's um, not faked when you actually see it done on on film. It's gorgeous. Yeah. And this is we're getting really into the weeds with how nerdy we are. <laughs> but I mean, uh, it, selfishly. Candlelight is so beautiful. I would love to, uh, you know, do something with just candlelight. It's it's just so difficult to do, and you have to have really great um, lenses and camera to really do yeah. it justice. I think the like, editing has to be right. It's just difficult. It but, is. Yeah. I mean, uh, when Martin Scorsese directed Silence, he filmed in film cameras. Yes. And have you seen that one? Yeah, dude. Bro. <laughs> If you guys, that's it's, another one that's overlooked. Martin Scorsese, side note, he did this movie. It stars um, Adam Driver and Liam Neeson and Andrew Garfield. And it is ridiculous. It's a passion project of Martin Scorsese. It's about Jesuit priests trying to um, proselytize um, Japan, like feudal Japan. I think it's post feudal or feudal Japan, very early Japan. And. Um, I can't speak to that. I don't know. Yeah, and it's it is harrowing, harrowing Ooh. as far as like the emotional thing you're watching these characters. He does some amazing allegories in the movie, but filmmaking wise, it's beautiful. Acting, top notch acting. I think it's just a really well executed film. But one of those that I think audiences, I don't know why we're not as receptive to. Uh, it's a period piece as well. Um, it seems to tick all most of the Oscar bo- boxes. It's like the last duel for me. I thought the last duel was phenomenal. It was phenomenal, and 
I think audiences overlooked it. And I, and mm-hmm. I, and I don't know, I think it, last duel was mismarketed, but I don't know why they overlooked silence. Maybe it was because it was overarchingly religious and religious movies, maybe in the free uh, as of recent, haven't been getting a lot of. Yeah. Things. I mean, religious movies never really, I mean, Christian movies, Unless you're talking about like Ben Hur back in the day of those yeah. Christian epics, like the Ten Commandments, those movies were definitely very. Yeah, the Passion good. was the closest thing, but then the Passion. Yeah, the Passion got of the God, I think that was, that was the most uh, the most popular radar movie up until Deadpool, or at least the most. Uh, yeah. uh, and then Joker took over. Yeah, yeah, Deadpool. But um, uh, I think with religious movies, like it does get a bad rep for like pure flex those movies are preachy as all get up i'm a christian but i don't like any of those movies because they're not good and they're super preachy but to this so to that yeah. aspect people may have avoided for that they, i don't know why right exactly and it's, it's funny how those genres they make they're like they know what they're doing they've got an agenda it's kind of like a hallmark movie right you it don't is, watch hallmark yeah. movie for the beauty and amazingness of a movie no you watch it because like you want to feel good and it's like a yeah. lovey-dovey movie and it's that's christmas it. time man yeah you know, you know, you don't put so much weight on it. Um, so, yeah, those, they turn yeah. out. Yeah, I don't know why Silence was overlooked. I think it came out a little bit later in the year, like late December, which is was the period of time where you need to be, uh, have that movie out to be accepted into the Oscars. So yeah, yeah, maybe yeah. that was the case, but it is a beautiful movie. Like, uh, conceptually, execution-wise, acting, all of it is like, I think it's like, top tier at least the second best Martin Scorsese movie in my own opinion yeah. just because I think the execution of it is perfect but going back to what I was uh, talking about earlier with the Candleline stuff yeah. they filmed most of that in with actual film but for the night scenes they actually had to take a digital camera and because so much of that would be just uh, super grainy super noisy right. and the film wouldn't be as good in low light because film cameras are generally not as great in low light Mm. as actual digital cameras and so they actually had to film that stuff because they filmed it uh with uh torches and uh very natural light they didn't use a lot of, uh for those for those things where they had torches they mostly just lit it with torches and the film cameras were able to see so much detail they didn't need anything really too they much didn't else need any, got it yeah so that's all interesting. that to say sounds like a that. great film it's just yeah. really hard to get through especially that last scene like oh my gosh that last scene that's rough or the, yeah. at least the last torture scene. That's not to say that's not a spoiler. People get tortured in the movie. It's most of the movie, right? You're watching Jesuit priests. I mean, like it's kind of you know anything about that history. It's it's pretty dark. Um, that one scene where um, but the, dude, the <sighs> Japanese actors, like the people that are just playing the ensemble oh. locals, are so good. Uh huh. Like the the one guy that was uh, talking to them, who gets um. It's been a while since I've seen it, so... No, you're good. Okay, yeah. Uh, I'm just going to praise this guy. Uh, the the guy who was talking to the Jesuit priest early on and essentially took the fall for them and was executed in the water. Oh, yeah. Bro. Yeah. Hard. It's hard. But every, every, no, there was no weak link in that movie. It was beautiful. Yeah. Adam Driver, I know, lost a bunch of weight to try to do his performance as well. Yeah. Not to say that that's, I think people blow that out of proportion when people are like, oh, well, I got to see this because what a physical transformation. Method acting. If it does, yeah, if it doesn't, you know, really help you and it's just kind of one of those um, spectacle things, 
It's like, okay. But have you ever done something semi method acting or like just getting It depends a role? what you mean by method acting. Like what do you define as method acting? Because I feel like that method acting, it's got a it's a blanket term with a lot of different things. Doggos. That's a doggo. We're gonna pause and see if I can Hello. We're gonna come back to that. <laughs> so I just said uh yeah, so what do you define as like method acting? Because that's kind of a blanket term, and I think a lot of people have different definitions of it. Yeah, so what I what I view with method acting, at least I feel like I have the popular, uh, the normal person, that sounds mean, the normal <laughs> person's view of method acting, which yeah, yeah, is yeah, yeah. just doing, uh, being ca- your character outside of the actual film. Like, you are always in character. Mm. And going to extreme lengths to embody that person that you are betraying. That's what I. That's what I view as method acting. Um, people can go to an extreme, like like Jared Leto and the Suicide Squad, which yeah, was not the movie stupid. to method act. That's pretty stupid. For that I think I don't. I, Jared Leto has done. He's a, he's been a good actor in other movies. Don't get me wrong, but you're method acting for Suicide Squad, man. Really? That's yeah. not the movie to do that. Yeah, I don't. I don't. I, I can't. Yeah, I would say that like. Um, there's there's something to okay so I wouldn't say that I've ever like method method acted like Daniel Day Lewis style where I'm like I am that person and don't talk to me outside of that person don't call me by my name yeah. when I'm on set people refer to him as on Lincoln as Mr President yeah, Mr President ridiculous <laughs> to me I mean it's each his own obviously it works for him and that's his method and it works and if it works obviously you're trying to get the best performance out of everybody so yeah there's the reason he's you. one of the most he's one of the best actors of- yeah to me he's the best one living right now and yeah. um. So I would say, you know, I've the most that I've done in my small span of what I've done is um, I think there is something too when you have like a, a tough scene or a sequence or something like that that you know you're working on where in the story the character is going through a trial of some sort and you know that that character is exhibiting like a, a tough mental space for you to, pri- you know, you have to work yourself up to put in that, at least for me, I can't just snap yeah. into it um, because it seemed contrived if I snap into it because the only way I feel like you can snap into something unless you just know that character, but if you're snapping into a tough mental sequence, to me, you've planned out what you're going to do. That's the only way you can snap snap into it. So you have to work yourself into that mental space. Uh, so you have to give yourself a little bit of time to get there. And so when I have like a, when I were filming a, something in the, in the script that I know is like the tough mental sequence, I might, you know, start going into it a little bit earlier, get myself in that head space, distancing myself from crew and other cast ma- mates to try to stay in it. Yeah. And in between takes trying to stay in it. But that being said, I'm not so in it that you can't call me like, Hey Mark or get over here to your Mark or whatever. It's like, it's not, it's not that it's just like, I am distancing you. I don't want to lose this area that I'm in and it's out of my head. So I am going to separate myself and try to stay in it for the duration of how long we're working because I don't want to get out of it for risk that I am going, not going to be able to get back there that quick. Yeah. And so that's the, probably the closest thing to method that I've ever done. I feel this is a tidbit for me. If I'm playing like a period or if I'm playing a different person, costume really helps, man. I think that like after you put in a lot of work and like on a character and stuff like that, when you have that person's like wardrobe on that costume, you all of a sudden everything kind of starts to click 
for, for me. And it's like, oh, okay, I get it. I get what this guy is. I, get, I feel this guy now. Yeah. And if you can, if especially when I've been lucky enough to where, you know, on higher budget projects where the, you know, the set is dressed impeccably and um, you don't have to really contrive or suspend your disbelief ever as an actor, which is such a gift. And you can just be. And so when you have that wardrobe on, and you've you've already done the research on the character, you know your lines, and you're living in the space, there is so much easier to drift into just being present as that character would be and get yourself in that mental state so much quicker yeah. because you're not having to suspend your disbelief. Yeah, it you know, on your side of what the camera sees, it might be all period and look at. You still might be staring at like 30 people and the boom guy, you know, with his whatever, and the camera staring at you and you're having to do things. But you still, all the objects around you in your bubble that you're within are real to you. It's all tangible to you. You're not having to spin your disbelief. And it's so, it's so helpful. So it's so much easier to stay and also exude the mental space you need to be to be, to do that. Yeah. So that's the closest thing I've ever been to say doing method, like method, method. And I don't even constitute that as method. I I don't know. There, I think there is a threshold where, being gratuitously method almost you slide into this ego thing like idolize me because look at all this all these leaps and bounds i'm going through to achieve this character and like it's almost like it has become a trope of like doing method to get some sort of idolatry or accolade from it's attention seeking yeah for most because i don't necessarily think daniel day lewis does it for a no i don't think so at all he stays out of the limelight quite a bit yeah he hates i don't think he does it all and even like when he his isn't like true like what is method right because his thing is like when he was on games new york from what i understand he would be listening to he put like headphones on and and listen to eminem to get pumped up for scenes or something (laughs) like that so he wasn't fully committed but he just didn't want to refer to he didn't want to associate his identity with another identity while he was being a certain identity right so if he was Bill the Butcher, that was who he was. It was his identity. He didn't want to associate with another identity while he was doing it. He didn't want to yeah. commingle the two. Yeah. And for him, that is just how he does it. And obviously, the authenticity with which he works benefits immensely from his method of doing that. So 100%. So yeah, man. Dude, as always, brother, this, is, this was immensely fun. Thank you for having a drink with me. Thank you all for listening. I hope our rants did not bore you and, and <laughs> only helped you and uh, absolutely kicked away or kicked the ass of any boredom that is hitting you. Yeah, right entertaining now. is hopefully the end game. Yeah, man. Well, dude, always a pleasure. We got to do it again. Thank you for having me on, man. Appreciate you. Dude, thanks for talking to me. All yeah, right. I just, I like talking to you. All right, y'all. Take care. Bye-bye. Adios. Adios.